uh, Kidra again, um, John Carney, uh, Eric Gottling. Welcome to the 22nd um, episode of uh, the Five Minute Update. This is our inaugural episode for uh, uh, 2022, and um, uh, I'm Dave Pausner. Um, Chitra, tell us what's going on in California before, so we can get so we can let uh, John and uh, Eric uh, sort of get their mental acts together, and uh, we'll go from there. What's exciting in California? Uh, California's good, sunny. Um, for those of you listening, years in the future, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, and California is being careful about it. But um, but but uh, things are going pretty well over here. Good, 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 good. So John Carney, Eric Gottschling, we're um, we're not here to talk about uh, licensing executive society stuff, but we are here to talk about uh, the latest in automotive and aero. Whatever you like, fire away, and then uh, Chitra and I will ask dumb questions, which we're very good at. <laughs> Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, I mean, we we're we're kind of uh, interested to see how everything associated with uh, with supply chain keeps going on as far as automotive is concerned. You know, it's just absolutely amazing to me that uh, that the the vehicles just keep piling up on uh, you know manufacturing lots because uh, because we're still all backlogged from so many of the things that uh, that are plaguing us to actually build complete parts. Oh, wait a minute. So you're, I thought we, is there a shortage of parts or is there a, a lack of uh, transportation to get the completed automobiles uh, to the local dealerships or both? Yeah, I'd say that there's a little bit of both and going on. Is is one, it's trying to get stuff off of ships that are coming from all over the place, but uh, but there's still a lack of chips. You know, the one thing that it, when it comes to automotive that I don't think that people are necessarily drawing the the same line or conclusion is is that you know as we electrify the vehicle the number of chips that goes into the average automobile is just skyrocketing so as you have a capacity constraint and more demand you just exacerbate the whole issue wow oh by the way amir joined us amir gabi welcome amir is muted um so while he figures the unmuted button out for, That's for, me, interesting. for me, it's about 5G. And and like I think 5G is the thing that will really remarkably change automobiles and create additional capacity to do just about anything you can do with your smartphone, with your with your car. And with that comes the whole question of cybersecurity. So I think it's a double-edged sword. You're connected, but are you are you safe? And, and so wait a minute, but, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not that has nothing to do with the supply chain issues, correct? Or is that exacerbating it? Well, listen, five G is a whole different chipset. So I mean, you're 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 adding on to what Eric's talking about with electric vehicles. Uh, you know, I mean, five G brings with it all the telecommunication chips that you're going to need to have a five G channel to your car. So again, more chips and and with it more complexity to deal with both in the security of the vehicle and making the vehicle work with all those things going on. What's the, um, where's 5G playing in? It's obviously 5G in the automobile is obviously far more than just powering uh, um, high-end versions of uh, Cirrus radio. Um, it's obviously uh, something to do with control of the vehicle or is it purely data collection or is it all, all of the above? Data sharing is the biggest thing. If, if you have a fleet of vehicles out there and they're all deployed with 5G capability and they've got sensing in them like radar, LIDAR, um, ultrasonic, uh, if they can sense and detect problems on the highway, they're going to share it. And so you get the whole fleet of vehicles communicating real time if everybody's 5G enabled. 
Uh, okay, but they, go ahead. Sure, sure. John, are, are personal vehicles also transmitting out information like that? You do have, of course, um, a, I, I bought a car last year. It was a, a good car, but a bad decision to buy it last year, I think. But, uh, but my car is, is constantly sensing, like cars 360 degrees around me and constantly feeding that information back to me. Is it also then in a personal vehicle that's not connected to a larger fleet network, is that, also, is that data being collected? Most data today is, is being collected by the manufacturers. So today, your manufacturer knows a lot about you and your use of that vehicle, and you've signed up for that as you bought the vehicle. So, so like oh, we don't it, read that stuff, though, part of a connection <laughs> but, but the connection, honestly, is, is going to get greater the more, the more data we can take in and put out. So with 5G, if you're talking about 20 gig download speeds, and sharing data between cars, your data is going to become more and more uh, uh, available through through you know the connections we have with apps to to other users and and people that want to sell us stuff. By the way, how the um, is there any operational issue with the cars if you're in a, an area where you're not in the five G zone? I can't imagine there is. Well, the the autonomous thing has to work independently, regardless of whether five G is available. I mean, if you have an autonomous vehicle, right? It's it's yeah. got to it's got to work with or without the five G. Five G is like a layer on that will enhance your autonomous capability in the vehicle, but you cannot rely on that as the backbone for autonomous operation. Ah, uh, yep, 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 yep. So what's the um, what's the prognosis for vehicles? Uh, again, when I drive, I'm up in the Boston area. When you drive past the dealerships, those lots are unbelievably empty, and they all seem to have the same sign in the driveway that says "We buy used cars." When's this all going to end? Six months. I'm here. Not bad. I mean, what do you think, Eric? Well, I, I I don't know. I, I think that at least near term, we might see some let you know some let off of the the, the constraints. But again, I, I keep thinking that as we continue to electrify and demand more and more and more chips, at some point in time, I think that there's going to have to be some recalibration of the of the chip manufacturing industry because they can only make so many, and you know they're running the wheels off of the you know of their machinery right now as much as they can run and as much as they can push out and yet every industry it doesn't matter if it's automotive or if it's you know consumer electronics everybody's demanding more chips smaller ones you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and so i think that there's there's likely to be a little bit of a dip and then there's going to be another demand that comes in as you start to bring some of these electrified vehicles into the marketplace in greater volume and they use I, I mean, who knows how many more, Two, twice as many chips as, as the, you know, standard internal combustion engine vehicles did. So, or, you know, as you go to more uh, level two, level three autonomous, you're going to need more chips as well. So. Oh, wait, wait a minute, wait, wait, Eric, but um, the way, there was not a chip shortage, was there pre-pandemic? So isn't this um, just a pandemic uh, uh, era related problem? So I, I, I'd be, I think I'd be selling it short to say that the the auto manufacturers took the opportunity um, to to now try and do two things at the same time, if you will. Is is one they're making this radical shift to electrified vehicles and they're trying to get them out the door as quickly as they can, which drives a bigger chip demand. 
along with the capacity constraint that you have due to the pandemic, just from a supply chain standpoint? I have a slightly different slant on that. And, and right now, if you look at penetration in the US market, EVs are less than 5%. So I think some of it is related to near-term supply issues related to the pandemic. I think part of it is automotive sourcing. The automotive guys in buying chips have had it their way for a long time. There's been a surplus capacity in that market. Rather than have long-term contracts, they bought them on spot buys. They bought one-year requirements. So those one-year requirements, they played the suppliers against each other. And as a result, when times get hard, you take care of your friends. If you haven't been friendly with me as a, as a supplier of chips, I may, I may put those chips to use in, in games and phones and other things. So I think, I think you got about a two-year lead time associated with new fab construction. And I think there'll be plenty of chips six months out plus. What's going Man, on? I agree, I agree with you, John. I, I think that that's absolutely right. And, and yes, you know, putting new fab in for chips, I think, uh, I think the next set, if you want to put another iteration in, is like $300 million. So it's not an insignificant amount of capital you've got to deploy if you want more capacity, however much it is, but it's significant. A couple of, a so couple wait, of so sleep. What, what popped out of the news the other day, I hadn't realized this, and maybe Chitra had noticed it, but um, who's on mute, um, is uh, there's a new Intel factory. I thought it was like 500 million um, going up in Ohio. Now, where that blank did that come from? Because I, it just like came out of the news the other day and everyone seemed to be slapping everyone else on the backs. And, and so what's the story behind the new Ohio plants for Intel? Do you guys know? I think it's the infrastructure, Bill. I think there are incentives to build in the United States. So I think you're starting to see the, the result of focus on local manufacturing by our government. And, no way. Oh, I had not thought of uh, manufacturing as being infrastructure, but I guess it really is, given that we live on shifts. It's all part of the incentive program. If they want electric vehicles, they're going to have to have the infrastructure, and if they have the infrastructure, they're going to need all the parts to go into it. So I, I wouldn't, I would not disconnect those two. Oh, so you think that might have been in the bill? That's really interesting. So that, how long till that plant is up? It sounds like at least a few years. A lead time is couple. Lead time's a couple of years on a fab plant. I used to work with applied materials back in an yep. earlier life. Okay. And yeah. applied, applied is usually pretty solid for a couple of years worth of bookings. So those orders are pretty firm. When we think okay. about okay. domestic automotive manufacturing, what parts of the country is it actually taking place in, like the actual manufacturing itself? So, we always think of Detroit as like the stereotype, and yeah. I don't know that that's the case. Getting more and more of the capacity. I mean, you look at BMW Spartanburg, South mm -hmm. Carolina. You look at at the um, the Nissan operations in Alabama. Mercedes is in Alabama. Uh, a lot of it southeast because of the right to work. I mean, they they were able to successfully avoid being unionized down there. So if uh, supply chain's an issue. Why aren't we moving chip manufacturing close to those facilities as well? Why are we building it up in the in the Midwest? Chips are easy to ship, man. You can get a lot of ships, uh, chips on <laughs> <at> 747. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a small form factor thing. It's not like shipping axles or shipping some of the major body components. I mean, in the car business, it's not unusual to have powertrain production, meaning axles and motors and stuff adjacent to the assembly plant. Uh, they're starting to do the same thing with battery packs for the EV plants. But, but smaller things like electronics and chips can come from a long ways away.
Wait a minute. Well, I'm going to be slow on that. I thought I thought I understood Chitra's question, uh, which was a good one, which is if uh, the automotive plants are moving down to um, the right to work states in the south. I thought her question was, why aren't the chips uh, manufacturers going there as well? Wouldn't they benefit equally from the uh, uh, from the right to work? Um, that was not my question, but it's a good question. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. <laughs> I, I don't know that any of the Intel plants are unionized or AMD or any of the rest of those guys. I mean, a lot of those people are in Texas and Chandler, Arizona and the Bay Area. So I don't think labor is enough of an issue for those guys if they're not unionized to create a problem for them. But they're easy to ship. I mean, that the reason those, those foundries don't chase the assembly plants is they've got a lot of customers that aren't automotive and, yeah. and chips are really easy, easy to get from point A to point B. So what's going back to what we talked about earlier? So what is the percentage of uh, chip production, worldwide chip production, say that's being used by automotive? I gotta assume it's one percent. Uh, probably less than five. There was a point in time when the automotive guys consumed like seventy or eighty percent back when engine controls came in in the eighties. In fact, General Motors built their own chips in Kokomo, Indiana. They had a a fab. That that operated, I think, on three three inch wafers. Eric, you remember that? Yeah, yeah. And they were, um, you know, they were making some of the best wafers out there. But it's just hard to compete when you when you try and vertically integrate some of those things against the Intel's of the world who are making just so many more than you are. It's a it's a scale and a and a volume issue. Is is you know in, enable competition. So what did I hear on that front? I heard that um, I thought I heard that Samsung finally, I think it was Samsung has surpassed uh, Intel as the for what the maybe the second year of three um, in chip production worldwide. Um, does that change anything? Does that change any equations or is Samsung as good a supplier as Intel as uh, you know anyone for that stuff? I would go ahead, John. I was going to say it typically depends on who's designed the chips. I mean, if somebody's building them to a print and, and GM in the early days had a lot of those ASICs and, and specialized chips that they had developed on their own, um, those those typically go to a foundry that's the lowest cost producer. But but Intel and and Qualcomm and some of the others that have proprietary chips are generally making their own stuff. So. So they don't necessarily compete directly with everybody else making chips. They compete within their market segment. And, um, you know, I, I think the United States has seen a lot of offs offshoring over the years. I mean, if you look at the rise of Taiwan and others, I think one of the reasons politically we're as interested in Taiwan as we are in the States is they're building all the high-end chips right now. And if something would disrupt that supply chain, I think the world would shake. But, you mean uh, something like China and the South China Sea? Like all those planes flying over the island? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. Oh, go ahead, Eric. You were saying something. Uh, no, the, the moment's passed, so we'll, uh, we'll just kind of move on. But, you know, when it comes to chips, I think one of the, the things that automotive has long done is, is they like to use standardized chips wherever they can so that I can drop them in and buy them from three different suppliers and I can, you know, get the best price and get the volumes that I want. And I think that that is, you know, very different from looking at the chips that an NVIDIA of the world is making, which is, a John said rightly, it's a high-end chip. It's used in, 
in some things that, you know, are very, very specific. And NVIDIA gets a premium for that. And why wouldn't they want to make more of their premium chips? Because it's better for their business. Right. So um, maybe we can start to bring this to a close um, before we ask a, a chitra to give us a summary of it. Um, but I did have a, a genius question, um, which was, um, given your statement, Eric, what you just said now, which seemed uh, relevant, I assume, to, oh, who is it? What's that guy named? Like Elon something or other, Muskrat or something? What's the deal with him and his chips? He seemed to be getting all over the press now because he was able to avoid the chip shortage. And I'm assuming from your question, it was the shortage of standardized chips. And by getting his programmers, his teams of programmers to rewrite for old, uh, you know, I, I assume they were taking stuff out of old I iPhones and putting it into our cars. So tell us a little more about that and how that fits into how what Elon Musk did uh, fits in with the standardized chips in the automotive industry. Yeah, from what I've read, you know, he was he was able to send his software engineers out and and basically uh, make a hardware problem a software problem so that he could get chips that were available versus some chips that were not available. So kind of hats off to him for for you know focusing a a problem in an area that he could control where a lot of the other OEMs just were not able to make that same shift and say, I'm going to make my hardware problem a software problem. I find that, frankly, hard to believe. I mean, I hear you. It sounds like a great story. It's great for the press. You've got, uh, you know, the up and coming uh, giant Elon Musk doing yet another fantastic thing. If he's not, you know, flying to the moon or Mars, he's solving the world's chip crisis. Do you really believe the story? I mean, I thought there were programmers elsewhere. I didn't think he had all the programmers working for him. Aren't there a few software engineers up in uh, Detroit? Or, software or yeah, there's software engineers all over the place. But I think that that, you know, it, it's another shortage in a way that the automotive industry is facing right now is, is that um, if you think about it, software programmers are in demand by so many other industries and the automotive industry has got to compete for those resources in a way that they've never been uh, never had to compete before so you know you've got a labor shortage in the software development industry now whether mr musk has been able to you know circumvent that based on where he is where he employs his people to more desirable places i don't know but uh, but it is an issue and you know for whatever reason, he's been able to do a little bit better job of it, maybe because he doesn't have as many models of vehicles. Maybe he's been able to focus his efforts. I really don't know. For a long time in our industry, too, we used application-specific integrated circuits, which allowed you to come up with a cheap solution. You had fewer components involved, but an ASIC also ties you to that ASIC to be able to make the car work. So get back to Eric's position about cars on lots. The cars are not on lots for all the chips in the car. There's only a specific chip that can't be made. And if that specific chip is an ASIC and Elon can solve that roadblock with, with a programming solution that enables the same functionality out of commonly available chips, I think that's how he's doing it. So Chitra, do you have a West Coast perspective on that? Because you guys have all the programmers over there, I think, now. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, well, I mean, traditionally, the 
soft, uh, the traditionally like the West Coast and, and tech companies are, and then the kind of the big names in it are like the sexiest options for um, for double E's or CS majors. It sounds like they can write their own ticket in, in the automobile industry right now, though. Um, cool. and, and maybe that's the conclusion to draw here. If you're if you're majoring in double E, you know, and you need a job, that's where to look. Sounds like as good a conclusion as any. Well, thanks, gentlemen, and thanks, Chitra, for uh, uh, joining us for what episode 22 of the um, five-minute update. All right, thanks. Thanks very much. All right, thank you. Bye-bye.